If you have your Bible with you this morning, could you turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, as we are, during these Sundays of Advent, studying Isaiah chapter 9. And we're reading together verses 1 through verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. If you're here this morning without your Bible, you're going to see the passage come up on the screens behind me. Isaiah chapter 9 writes these words. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen, and I trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Back in November, while I was recuperating from heart surgery, I had a little time on my hands. And on impulse, and I have to tell you, motivated from irrationality, I made a poor decision. I applied for part-time work in December. (laughs) And I applied to be one of Santa's little helpers. And when my elf outfit arrived, Miss Ruth said, "Mm, probably not. Uh, December can be a little busy around the church, so I suspect you're probably not going to be able to take this up. But I did manage to go through several levels of interview and vetting. And what I discovered was that Santa sent me his naughty and nice list. And I have it on my phone. And I produced some notes from it this morning, which I'm going to share with you. And I have to tell you, some of you have been extra good this year. Not everyone, but some of you have been extra good this year. Let me give you an example. Mason Simmons. Mason usually sits right over here if he's not here this morning. Mason, are you here? No, he's upstairs at a baptism of one of our students this morning, so he's up there. And what we know is this, that he was born January 12, 1996. It gives you the date of birth and it cross-references you with family members. All sorts of information are on the naughty and nice list. He is married to Emma. Emma's date of birth was April 3rd, 1998. His mom is, of course, Beth. And Beth's date of birth... Well, we'll skip Beth's date of birth. And 
but Beth is on the nice list because of her work with Hollis Academy. And Beth, of course, is one of the saints among us, and she's right up there. Married to Chuck, however, and (laughs) Chuck is a Master of Equity for Greenville County. Uh, He serves as Special Circuit Court Judge, presides over the 13th uh, Circuit Adult Drug Court and Veterans Treatment Court. And of course, he has been an elder, and you heard him pray this morning. And in fact, Chuck, are you sitting at, I can, I can see me sitting at the back. He received the Order of Palmetto over the summer months, which is the highest civilian award the state can give. Chuck, congratulations on that. Uh, It's extremely well done. But as I went down the nice list, Chuck, I would have to say that your college years are missing. (laughs) I am certain it's an administrative error, uh, but they're not there. And as I was looking down, I also noticed Mike Ward. Mike, where are you? He's sitting at the back there somewhere. Uh, Mike, of course, married to the lovely Michelle. They have two twin boys, ideal family. Mike, you're not your list, I'm afraid, I had to flick through several times to get to the end of it. Uh, And in fact, in the margin is the word, well, I'm sure it was a handwritten note, C-O-A-L. Does that mean anything to anyone? I thought it was an acronym, but I'm pretty sure C-O-A-L was right there. Uh, And Mac, maybe you should wait behind this morning and you and I can chat because uh, you have a lot of work to do between now and Christmas Eve. Uh, So it's been amazing to see all of that. And of course, Christmas is that almost magical time of the year for fun and laughter with friends as we decorate the home, attend endless Christmas events, enjoy the music and the decorations. And of course, it's wonderful. And of course, there's also that sense of anticipation. Writing to Santa, late October, early November, could I please have? And you write down that perfect gift you've always wanted. So let me ask you to use your imagination this morning. Let me ask you if I can probe a little. And if you were to sit down with God this afternoon, after lunch, the family were busy around the house, and you had a conversation with him, what gift would you ask for this Christmas? Would you pray for, ask for his hand of blessing and protection over children and grandchildren? Would you pray for the promotion that you hoped you would get with extra income, maybe move to the house that you and your family have longed to move into? Is that what you would ask for this Christmas? Would you be thinking of college years? Praying to get through this academic year and exams in the college of your choice after next summer. Perhaps you're in your final year of college and you're praying for graduation and what comes next. Or maybe you're at the opposite stage in life where parents are not doing so well and you're concerned about their future. Or maybe you're not that long married and have been trying for a family and so far that has not worked. 
And you're wrestling with why would God allow some things and not others? What is he doing? You can't quite understand what's going on. Or maybe the last three or four months for you has been a time of great blessing where you've sensed his presence and his tender touch and you have prayed and prayed and prayed and he's answered spectacularly and you've gone through one blessing after another. You're growing in your faith. You're maturing in your knowledge of him. And you've moved to a whole new level in your walk with him. And your prayer is that God would empower and enable you to live out your faith each day. And you've discovered in those quiet, intimate moments with him that you are praying for purity and holiness in every aspect of your life, your place of work, raising your children, in your marriage. And you're longing to move to that deeper level with him. Or perhaps you've simply prayed, Father, make me the best spouse I can possibly be the best parent the best grandparent help me to be Christ-like in my very demeanor and disposition help me model faith for my children is that what you would ask this Christmas now having read from Isaiah chapter 9 this morning and we've been spending our Sundays during Advent in Isaiah 9 the more you study this passage of scripture, the more you sense and hear and feel. This is almost a conversation where God is saying to Isaiah, Isaiah, I am about to give you the greatest gift that I can possibly give. And it's almost like listening into a conversation. And of course, God says to Isaiah, the greatest gift I can give is for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And we touched on that last week. Wonderful Counselor meaning like a legal counselor, someone who acts in your best interest. And today we are coming to not only Wonderful Counselor, but moving on to Mighty God mighty God. The child to be born will be mighty God. Isaiah is saying, can you grasp the enormity of what's about to take place? Do you understand the sheer magnitude of what is happening in front of you? The unprecedented nature of what's taking place. I think most of us are familiar with Isaiah to some extent. So please forgive me if this is redundant. If Isaiah is a book that you are unfamiliar with, help me to take just a couple of minutes to remind you of Isaiah. It falls into the classification of major prophets. In the Old Testament, there is a section of major prophets. There's a section of minor prophets. The major prophets are major, not in terms of the content of the book, but length of the book. And they belong to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. There are five major prophets. And the thing that helps Isaiah stand out amongst the others, and each of the books in their own right are 
Absolutely spectacular. But Isaiah writes in terms of the majesty and the greatness of God. He portrays God in all of his wonder and glory. He tells us that he is unchangeable in character and love and grace and mercy. He is majestic and yet at the same time not only transcendent but imminent in grace and love. And that's why Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel because he picks up the central motifs and major emphasis of the gospel. And you see them foretold in Isaiah. Hence he is saying 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah prophesies, for unto us a child is born. In fact, Isaiah is so confident of the purposes and eternal plans of God, he writes as if it's already happened. For unto us a child is born. For to us a child is given. A son is given. There's a historical context that most of you will be familiar with in Isaiah. And on a Sunday morning, whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, we're always going to look at the historical context. And the context is this, that in 722 BC, Judah, which was the nation in the south, her sister nation, the northern kingdom of Israel, fell to the invading Assyrians. And the people living in Judah, and that's how the passage begins at the end of chapter 8, Isaiah talks about the darkness and the gloom and the distress because the people in the southern kingdom of Judah were waiting for an invasion any day. Talk about living in fear, uncertainty, living with anxiety, darkness descending on every aspect of life. And Isaiah writes, nevertheless, for to us a child is born. He's saying there is hope, for God is not done with us yet. And what a passage it is. But this is not the first time Isaiah has mentioned this. In fact, he says this. Oh, excuse me, I've gone too far ahead here. Let me come back. When he talks about, for as a child is born, to as a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, meaning the government and salvation of the entirety of humanity. That's what he's talking about there. Shouldn't think in terms of a political sense, but in terms of salvation. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And you may be sitting there saying, Richard, okay, I hear what you're saying. But normally when we recite the Apostles' Creed, and we recited the Nicene Creed this morning, because this is the time of year we focus on Christ, and the Nicene Creed focuses more on Christ than the Apostles' Creed does, so that's why we had that one this morning. The Apostles' Creed talk of, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And now we read, a child to be born is also God Almighty. Isn't this a kind of contradiction in terms? And of course, you are familiar with the commandments. And the next is 22 through 3. We read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So doesn't this sound a little self-contradictory? When this child to be born will be God? And what is going on there is this. 
when Isaiah writes, he writes about God as he truly is. Not as we imagine him, not as others have told us he might be, but he writes about God in all of his wonder and all of his glory and all his transcendent majesty. And he writes of his deep love for his children. And that love is manifest and expressed in who? The child to be born. In other words, God himself simply doesn't text us. He doesn't send us an email. He doesn't open up a web page or go on TikTok and explain to us what's happening. He sends his only son. In other words, he sends himself. That's the point that's being made. And this is not the first time it's mentioned in Isaiah. And a couple of chapters earlier, Isaiah 7, he says, The Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Does that ring a bell? Is your mind already racing, not just from reading Isaiah, but moving forward to the New Testament where we read of Matthew? And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so you see the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament fulfillment. Isaiah, in expecting the Messiah, was looking forward. We in the 21st century look back to the birth of Christ. That's what's going on here. God with us. For those of you who enjoy Bible study, you will be familiar with this. And we may have mentioned this last year. And if you don't have this in the margin of your Bible, it's worth putting there. So please take a note. When Matthew begins, he talks of Mary and Joseph. He talks of nativity. When Mark writes, he quotes Isaiah and he deals with prophecy. When Luke writes, he writes in the time of Herod, king of Judea, he writes of history. And then John writes of eternity. That's the different focus in each of the opening chapters of the Gospels. And it's right there. And John in writing takes us way back and focuses on timeless truths. Before the world was made, matter itself was did not exist at that point. And here was God planning to create a humanity whom he would love and care for. And John puts it this way. In the beginning was the word God. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And what is going on here? Quite simply. God, one in essence, three in person. And God himself sends his son into this world. Hence Isaiah is writing, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Let me pause for a second. Because you may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear everything you've said. I appreciate the historical background. I understand a little, I think, of all that you've been saying about Old Testament prophecy, fulfillment in the new, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I think I get all that. But Richard, let me interrupt for a minute. And I shared this with 
the 11 o'clock congregation last Sunday, and I wanted to share it with you as well this morning. Because you may be saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. I understand it's mighty God. But my question is this. And Richard, let me paint a little picture for you and then ask you to comment, please. Because Richard, while you've been off lollygagging around the place, the last couple of months have been tough for me and my family. Inflation has gone up just beyond measure. The economy is not looking that great. Situation in my working environment is that we're having to cut here and there and we may have to lay people off over Christmas. It's been a tough eight weeks. Richard, more than that, every time I go to fill up my car, the cost of gas seems to be going up and up, come down a little more recently, but it's still expensive. Each time I go to the store, I come back with half of the groceries because simply I can't always afford them. My oldest daughter's going to college next summer. The fees are astronomical. And I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about our future as a family. And I'm just not sure what's happening here. And the thing that really, really bothers me is this. That I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and God has not answered my prayer. In fact, he said nothing. He's been silent. And Richard, I know what to do if I pray and pray over an issue and God says no. That's fine. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Things have not worked out the way I'd hoped. So I simply suck it up and move on. Or when he says yes. When he says yes, I know exactly what to do then as well. But when he says nothing, when heaven is silent, I don't know what to do. And I become anxious. And quite frankly, Richard, I start to drift. And I move towards apathy and indifference. And I think, what's the point? He's not listening. Sometimes I'm tempted to think he doesn't even care. Been there. Wrestled through those issues. Theologians classify them as theodicy. When God works in a particular manner one way and yet doesn't on another. And what do you do? How do you respond when nothing happens? Well, let me push back a little and do so as gently and as pastorally as I know how. And let me suggest this. It's not that heaven is silent. It's not that God isn't answering. Because he speaks on every single page of this book. And this morning it may well be that you need to hear again. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He has already told you how much he loves you. He's already spoken to say, allow me to put my arms of love and grace around you and hold you close. 
And your responsibility in the midst of uncertainty and indifference and darkness and anxiety is to say, Father, I will trust you for this moment, even though you may not be speaking today directly into my circumstances, you have already spoken. And you have already said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will walk with you moment by moment, day by day. You are mine. I hold you in the palm of my hand and you can absolutely trust me whatever you're going through. That's what scripture teaches. In this season of Advent, we were reminded earlier by John that it's a time of waiting. But please don't misunderstand. Advent isn't a time where you kind of sit down for four weeks, twiddle your thumbs and say, I'm waiting for Christmas. It's not you pull out your phone occasionally and say, oh yeah. mm -hmm." Advent's a time of reflection. It's a time for slowing down, becoming a little quieter. It's a time to look deep inside. And to ask ourselves, Father, am I putting more energy into decorating a tree and preparing a Christmas meal than I am living out my faith and trusting you? Am I? It's a time to ask those tough questions because when you're going through those moments when God is not speaking directly into your life, those are the times when you dig deep. Those are the times where commitment and dedication is conceived and birthed. Those are the moments when God's refining hand is upon you, growing you into maturity, shaping and fashioning your life, and calling you afresh to walk in obedience of what you already know. And that takes maturity. And that takes a willingness to grow. That takes a longing after purity and holiness to say, Father, I really don't understand what's happening. I don't always see your hand at work, but I am willing to trust you in the midst of it all. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he can be absolutely trusted whatever the circumstance and situation you're facing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you that you, mighty God, speak into our lives through your word. Help us, please, not to focus on the circumstance of our lives, but to focus on you, the living God, Father, thank you for your goodness and love and your faithfulness to us day by day by day. Bless us, please, over this Christmas season. And may this be a season where we dig deep and draw closer to you as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.